Welcome everybody to Weiss Camera Action. I am your host, Aaron Weiss, alongside the Sage of Smyrna, Erica J. Weiss. Y'all may be like, what? These people again? And yeah, we're back, baby. You guys thought this podcast was dead. Dead in the water. But guess what? It's alive and well and dry on land, baby. (laughs) It is back. And you know what? We are going to complete the Harry Potter series before we do anything else. Because that's what we deserve. It's what y'all deserve. It's what Daniel Radcliffe deserves. And we're going to make it happen. And the only person that doesn't deserve us to finish it is J.K. Rowling herself. Um, But you know what? That's a topic for a different podcast. Uh, yeah, so we've been on hiatus for this podcast for a long time. Um, just a lot of life has come at us. Um, we've moved, we've had job changes, we've just been pretty busy, and honestly, when we haven't been busy, we've been pretty apathetic towards recording this. Um, but we got excited to record it, and we found that fire again, and... You know what? This is just a hobby. We're not getting paid for it, so it's our you know, and it's our podcast, so we can do what we want. Yeah, and I mean, another thing is we also took a bit of a hiatus from our main podcast, which is Best Friends Pod, to make sure you check us out there. Um, we took a kind of break from that for the summertime. Um, a lot of us are on teacher schedules slash student schedules, so summertime we're just kind of off of work, anyways. I feel like we just kind of you know weren't really thinking about podcasting. So we took a break from there, um, and then we've gotten back into it in the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. And since recording Best Friends Pod again, we've been like, we have got to start recording Weiss Camera Action again as well. So make sure you're listening to Best Friends Pod. Keep checking back here every week for a new episode of Weiss Camera Action. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm super excited to be back doing this. This is one of my favorite things to do so i'm excited and also hopefully best friends gaming pod will be back soon mm. um it is it has been difficult finding a new time um i recently started working on fridays and so did ian uh, one of the co-hosts so uh, it's been difficult to find another time um, friday mornings used to be perfect and now they're the worst to, <laughs> for us so, I mean, not like the worst, it's just like the worst time no, for us. No, it's the worst! Um, anyways, back to the show. Of course, this is Weiss Camera Action, where each and every week on your favorite podcast service, Erica and I review movies slash series of movies. If you like that and you want to be a part of the show, go to patreon.com slash Weisscast, where $1 a month tier grants you the ability to ask questions that you want to be aired on the podcast. And you can write your Darmok reviews, which I completely forgot about until this second. We <laughs> haven't ever had anyone write in. Classic. Uh, I checked the email, but hey, you know, there's a first time for everything. Also, the $1 tier gets you mentioned in the credits, as well as a shout-out during the show. Big thanks to Chrono Slinger for producing this episode. If you don't have any change to toss our way, that's no big deal. You can catch the show each and every week on podcast services around the globe. A little bit of housekeeping for you. This is the fifth episode in the Harry Potter series, Um, so in a... Just to remind you, it's a semi-new format. We're going to be comparing the books and the films. Um, Also, 
Best Friends Pod will be posted. We just posted a new episode. Um, if you're listening to this, we posted one on Monday, and then another episode will actually be posted on Thursdays from here on out uh, for Best Friends Pod. <clears throat> and in case you forgot, Best Friends Pod is four hosts. And it's awesome. We love it a lot. Yeah. Uh, we record on Tuesdays and we aim to post on Thursdays, but we're imperfect. And sometimes we post on the following Monday. Absolutely. Shout uh, out to the Peelers. We love y'all. Shout out to the Peelers. But from right there, you know, let's hop on right into the movie. Let's hit me some hit me with some wizarding fun facts. Absolutely. So I have here four fun facts. Um so this is probably my favorite fun fact about the movie, which is the introduction of the new character, Luna Lovegood, and how she was cast and everything. So when they were casting um, the character Luna, Ivana Lynch beat 15,000 girls for the role of Luna Lovegood, which is insane. She was um, ninth in a line of 30 finalists, and when it came to viewing the audition videos... Uh, the producer, or one of the producers, David Barron, stopped the viewing after her audition and just said, she's Luna, I don't need to see anyone else. And it's crazy, because for years prior, her and J.K. Rowling had been pen pals, and J.K. Rowling had been kind of, you know, talking to her about struggles that um, Ivana Lynch has gone through, and Ivana Lynch had talked to her about how she's the biggest Harry Potter fan, biggest Luna Lovegood fan, so really crazy how that worked out. Pretty cool. Um, another fun fact, which I actually didn't know this, is that Helen McCrory was originally cast to play Bellatrix instead of Helena Bonham Carter. But at the time, Helen McCrory was pregnant, so she had to be replaced by Helena Bonham Carter. And um, McCrory was later invited back and cast as Narcissa Malfoy, who she's a character we'll get to in the next episode. She's um, a Half-Blood Prince character. Anyways, I just had no idea. That, yeah. you know, Helena Bonham Carter was not the first choice because it seems like she's perfect for the role. She is perfect for the role. Um, it it, it kind of blows my mind that castings like that exist. <clears throat> but, I mean, Helena Bonham Carter and Helen McCrory actually play awesome sisters. Mm-hmm. Like, that works well. So, ended up working out great. Uh, third fun fact. Although um, this movie is based on the second is based on the longest book in the series. It's actually the second shortest movie in the Harry Potter film franchise, um, which I think is interesting because, you know, this there's so many details in this book, and for this to be a shorter movie, I think it kind of goes to show that maybe a lot of the details in the book are unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of my hot take. And I think you share the same hot take, that the fifth book is kind of tough to get through. Especially the first half. Oh my gosh, Yeah. And then my last fun fact is that there was a two-month hiatus on this movie because Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson were taking their um, various British tests that you take when you graduate from high school or whatever. So Daniel Radcliffe was working on his A-levels and Emma was going to take her GCSE, which uh, I'm sure all of our British listeners, if you're out there, (laughs) I'm sure you know what that is more than I do, but I think that's... Just kind of a fun reminder that they were still such, like, they were so young making these movies yeah. that, you know, they were taking their A-levels and their, you know, British schooling tests. So, anyway, that's all I got. Let's jump into analysis from there. I mean, <clears throat> we've already talked a little bit about um, the book, but, like, what what do you think of the movie as, like, a whole? Like The movie 
it's one that I'm the least consistent on. You know, there's a couple of the movies that I'm like, you know, I feel like that's a pretty weak Harry Potter movie. And then others that I'm like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. And this is one that I kind of go back and forth on. I've never watched it and been bored or disliked it or anything, but I don't know. It's just, it's the first movie with a new director. So I guess maybe that's a reason why I'm, you know, well, kind of. It's, so it's interesting. Um, the first two have the same director. Oh, do you know? Yeah. yeah. And no, then thanks for explaining they, that. They already. change directors in three, four, and five, mm-hmm. and then have the same director from five on out. So I think that out of all of the, um, I'm blanking on his name. David Yates? Yes. Of all the David Yates Harry Potter movies, five might be my least favorite, but I don't dislike it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think I enjoyed this film. Um, I think I'm a little less like, uh, wishy-washy or whatever you want to say about it. Like... I think the film does a really good job at trimming the fat of the book. Yeah. And um, showing a frustrated and angry Harry. Um, It definitely has a different tone than the previous movie mm-hmm. um because when i think of goblet of fire especially like the first two acts of it it's a little more whimsical it's a little more like light-hearted in the first two acts it's still scary but they <clears throat> keep it light you know yeah 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 um this is also like what the third movie in a row where someone in the golden trio has beef with someone else in it um right what do you mean like so last movie ron was mad at harry oh okay they like were they're mad at each other yeah okay they're mad at each other uh, the movie before <clears throat> that, it's Ron and Hermione because of the whole Crookshanks and Scabbers yeah. thing. And then mm-hmm. what's, what is it in this one? I forget exactly what it is, but we'll get to it when we get to the plot. But, like, I think it's just, I think it might even just be Harry being, like... Oh, mad at the world. Mad and at the mad, world. Yeah. And kind of taking it out on his friends. Yeah. So kind of similar tropes happening over and over. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, you kind of see that continue on in the next couple films. But I feel like of the movies, this one is like... Like, that trope is the... I don't want to say the least believable. That's not the one word I'm looking for. It's like, maybe the least necessary or doesn't add as much to the story to me. Yeah, I could see that. I also think um, out of all of the movies that are less faithful to the books, and to be fair, I think every Harry Potter movie is relatively faithful to the books. I think that, you know, all of the writers and directors and producers and blah, blah, blah did a pretty good job. But I think this is the one where maybe I almost 
and I guess we'll get to this when we do rankings at the end, but I almost like this movie more than the book. And it's not because I think it's a bad book. I just do find it pretty hard to get through the beginning of it. And it's, what, 860 pages or something like that? Yeah, and it's real thick. It's just a really dense book. And I think it's a lot of it is really beautifully written. But, I mean, I think this, if there is a... This might be this might be the one where I like the movie more. And I might have said that I like the third movie more than the third book. I can't remember if I said that or not. Sounds like something I would say. Because I love the third movie for all the listeners who um, might have forgotten how much I love that movie. I love that movie. But I really do like this movie perhaps more than I like the book. I, I agree with you. I mean, like like we've said, it trims a lot of the fat and gets rid of a lot of the... Um, shoot exposition yeah gets a gets rid of a lot of the exposition that isn't super necessary for telling this story and i appreciate all the world building that jk rowling puts in this series but like sometimes it's too much and like by this point in the series we already have a good idea of what this world is yeah and this there there's like this book could be trimmed down by like a quarter, like you could yeah. you could trim away two hundred pages and you could still have a very coherent absolutely um, story. yeah. I mean, I think there's <clears throat> like two or three chapters dedicating to cleaning um, the black house. Yeah. Like honestly, do we need that? <laughs> I understand it's trying to get at it's like really dull work. It's you know, and Sirius is trapped in there, and that's all he's allowed to do, and he can't leave, and he can't be of help in any other way other than cleaning the house. But I think they could have said that in maybe a paragraph. In, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> not in three chapters. I we mean, get honestly, that in five minutes in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Uh, yeah. Um. Let's get on to the summary. The summary. Um. Actually, we. Yeah, we'll talk book versus movie after the summary. So, and we've already already kind of been talking about it so comes the plot in the wake of cedric diggory's death lord voldemort's return oh and lord voldemort's return harry potter is worried that things could get worse as he and his cousin dudley are walking home from the park following dudley's antagonizing harry in front of his friends they are attacked by dementors secretly sent by dolores umbridge spoilers And Harry casts a Patronus charm to save them both from the Dementor's kiss. An extremely baffled Dudley is taken back to Privet Drive, accompanied by Mrs. Fig, a squib who is a neighbor of Harry and was told by Dumbledore to keep an eye on him. Later, a howler from Mathilda Hopkirk of the Ministry arrives for Harry and tells him that he is expelled from Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry for using magic in front of a muggle. Can I pause you there really quick? Sure can. The I don't know if it's going to get to this later in the summary, but the reason why Dudley is so, like, a, like baffled is because muggles cannot see Dementors. So he just knows that something horrible just happened to him, and he his only explanation is that Harry did it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think... Do the book, both the book and the movie do an okay um, job at telling us that? Like, 
The um, movie only explains it in one line, I think, which we're about to get to what happens at the ministry hearing. Yeah. But one of them says, oh, well, very convenient that your only witness would be your muggle cousin who can't even see Dementors, you know? Right. And then that's when they bring out Miss Fig, but... Yep. Anyway. <clears throat> the Order of the Phoenix comes and collects Harry while Alistair Moody reveals that Dumbledore ordered his expulsion ordered suspended wow in favor <laughs> of a disciplinary hearing the order flies him to 12 grimald place to stay where he finds out that hermione and ron's family are there too harry also has many nightmares about the events that had happened the previous year including the death of cedric diggory and the rejuvenation of voldemort while at 12 grimald place harry's godfather sirius black mentions that voldemort is after Quote, something he didn't have last time, unquote. Around this time, Harry also learns about the Order of the Phoenix, an organization of which Sirius Black, Severus Snape, and Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, Remus Lupin, Nymphadora Tonks, Professor Moody, and many others are all members of. I love that this is, we're reading this off of the Harry Potter fandom wiki, and organization is spelled with an S, so I'm just reminded that we're in a British world, so that's fun. (laughs) Yay, Brits. Um, also, at this point, do we know about Nymphadora Tonks? Like, Yes. We do? What, what do you mean, do we know about her? I mean, she's there. No, I mean, but like... Does the movie explain who she is at all? Yeah. No. Okay. The movie does... Actually, they don't even ever call her Tonks in this movie. Really? They All that she's referred to is um, Mad-Eye Moody saying... Quiet down, Nymphadora, or something like that. And then Tonk says, don't call me Nymphadora. And her hair turns red or whatever. Yeah. That's it. So we know that her name is Nymphadora, although she does not want to be called Nymphadora. Right. And that's all we get. It's really bizarre. I mean, her character is really, really, really watered down in this movie. That would be one thing I would change. Mm-hmm. I know More we can Tonks. Get, yeah, we can get to that in the um, analysis of the book versus mm-hmm. movie, but... If there's one thing I would have had more of from the book that was not in the movie, it's more tongs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the ministry, Dumbledore defends Harry's actions. The minister for magic, Cornelius Fudge, denies Harry's answer to his questions regarding what actually took place on the night in question, leading to further arguments. Mrs. Fig gives testimony as a witness of the event. Dumbledore tells Fudge that Voldemort could be behind the Dementor attack, but Fudge refuses to believe that Voldemort is back. In the end, Harry is cleared of all charges because Dumbledore reminds them that expelling him from the school for using a charm to defend himself against Dementor is unjustifiable, as it is not forbidden for even an underage wizard to use magic in a matter of life or death. So, I mean, there's a lot that happens in that scene that's not mentioned in the summary, but for example, Harry gets to the Ministry, you know, early so he can... um, you know, hang out with Mr. Weasley for a little bit and they can work together to prepare what he's going to say for the hearing and all of that. Well, as soon as they get to the ministry, Harry learns that his hearing has been rescheduled for three hours earlier. So instead of getting there, you know, super early, he gets there actually like five minutes early and has to quickly go into the hearing and he's so unprepared and all that. So um, that's just kind of a little way that the ministry has been out to get Harry in this book slash movie is that they are trying to keep him from being prepared keep him from even having a chance at having a voice and blah 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 so it's a very like fascist regime in the 
ministry. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're very much trying to silence any, um, I guess, Voldemort believers yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, shortly after Harry, Ron, and Hermione arrive at Hogwarts, they find out that the sinister and mean-spirited Dolores Umbridge is the new defense against the dark arts teacher. It is apparent that she is there as a puppet of the Ministry of Magic in their way of interfering at Hogwarts and keeping rumors that Lord Voldemort's return from spreading. When Harry insists that Voldemort's return is not a lie and that he saw him, Umbridge gives him detention, which consists of him making which would consist of making him write I must not tell lies repeatedly with a special quill that takes the writing out of his hand, writing it in blood. Um, that's not very well worded, but essentially, as he writes it on paper, it also, like, cuts into his hand the exact words that he's writing. Yeah. Um, this proves to be the beginning of Dolores Umbridge's abuses of power as a Ministry of Magic's, quote, High Inquisitor, unquote. She introduces restriction after restriction, as well as, quote, evaluating, unquote, teachers to determine if they're worthy of remaining at Hogwarts. This leads to her sacking uh, Trelawney, but she is stopped from throwing her out of Hogwarts altogether by Professor Dumbledore, who tells Professor McGonagall to escort Trelawney back inside. When Umbridge begins to argue about his actions, Dumbledore tells her... That she has the right to sack teachers, but not to banish them from the grounds. At the same time, Dumbledore distances himself from Harry, knowing that Harry's mind is connected to Voldemort, and he can see visions of Voldemort when he gets a big emotional charge, such as happiness or anger. So at this point in the movie, we don't know that that's why Dumbledore is being distant. Right. We just, we have no idea why... Dumbledore is being distant. I mean, we see at the hearing, Dumbledore shows up for him, defends him, and bef- and Harry's calling after him like, oh, Professor, thank you for that. And yeah. Dumbledore just like scurries off without even looking at him. Same thing in this scene after Dumbledore, you know, defends Trelawney and is like, she's staying. I don't care if you want to fire her. Like, you cannot banish her from Hogwarts. Right after that scene, Harry's calling after Dumbledore, and Dumbledore can clearly hear him. Like, mm-hmm. the camera's right on Dumbledore's face, and you can see that he's hearing Harry calling him, but he just keeps walking and does not turn around to talk, which is very unlike Dumbledore. Usually Dumbledore is kind of obsessed with Harry and takes any chance he can to take him under his wing and blah, 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 but in this movie, he's just totally shutting him out, and we don't know why. Yeah, yeah. and I think that both the movie and a... Uh... I think the movie might even do a better job as to, like, giving us answers maybe even more quickly as to why um, he's being shut out. Um, But, yeah, at this point, we don't know that. Uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts and the Ministry of Magic's continued denial of Voldemort's... Oh, wait. (laughs) I missed a line. Oops. In the face (laughs) of Umbridge's corruption, refusal to actually teach Hogwarts students anything worthwhile in defense against the dark arts, and the Ministry of Magic's continued denial of Voldemort's return, the trio, the golden trio, (laughs) along with many other in Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff students, band together to form a group that comes to be known as Dumbledore's Army. 
in honor, with a U, of the headmaster, <laughs> who is presently on the receiving end of a smear campaign against him due to his insistence that Voldemort really has returned. The DA members decide to find a secret place in the castle where all, are will- where all willing students can come and learn. Neville Longbottom finds the Room of Requirement, a hidden room in Hogwarts that gives those... The gives those inside things they need. That if you find the room, it'll give you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, the room is not a. It's not like it comes with certain things. Like every time someone finds it, it looks the same. It looks different for every single person who finds it. Unless you're like looking for the storage, then then oh yeah, that's true. If you're looking for a place to store something or to hide something, it looks the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very good point. We'll get to that in a few more books. <laughs> yeah. Next book. Um, oh, yeah. That's true. Ba, 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 ba. Hidden Room. The group decides that Harry will be their new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Oh. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know, <laughs> later we have a uh, ranking of Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers segment podcast within a podcast and we had both not forgotten but it had slipped our mind yeah we had failed to recognize that harry Harry. is a defense against the dark arts teacher yeah even though he's not officially hired by the school honestly dumbledore should have paid him honestly yeah the students use the room to train and harry begins a relationship with cho chang bow chicka bow (laughs) under the assumption that dumbledore's (laughs) army is in an org is an organization formed to undermine the ministry as High Inquisitor Umbridge bans most student activities and forbids any groups, societies, etc. of more than three people to continue unless given permission, essentially revoking all student freedom. Harry has a vision of an attack on Arthur Weasley in the Department of Mysteries, saving his life. Afterwards, Dumbledore instructs Snape, to give him occlumency lessons in order to block his mind from Voldemort's influence. The occlumency lessons causes Harry to begin distancing himself from his friends. Simultaneously, Sirius's deranged cousin, Bellatrix Lestrange, escapes from Azkaban prison along with nine other convicted Death Eaters. So can we talk a little bit more about the vision that Harry had of attacking Arthur Weasley? Yeah. So, in the vision... Basically, it's a snake that's attacking Arthur Weasley. We're assuming it's uh, Nagini. Nagini. Yes, we can assume that the snake is Nagini. But in the vision, Harry is the snake. Yep. It's not like he's just watching this happen as a third-person bystander. He is the the snake. He is the one doing the attacking, which horrifies Harry because it makes him feel like he's becoming evil or that Mm -hmm. maybe somehow in his mind he's one with the snake and he's kind of onto something in that regard yeah um but he just it really freaks him out and he feels like he's becoming more and more like Voldemort or that you, you know it just really really scares him so um yeah I mean it's it's a really scary vision and I mean I, and especially freaks him out because it was a real vision it's like right. he was at like Arthur Weasley actually did get attacked by a snake as he was watching that happen. So Harry's like, oh, I'm the one who attacked him. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I mean, you can't blame Harry for trying to 
seclude himself from his friends and like he it might be like a defense mechanism almost like trying to uh, protect yeah exactly harry and hermione ron and hermione them too yeah <laughs> um umbridge who had taken many of the acquaintances of harry into questioning finds out about how to get in the room of requirement through cho chang whom she had illegally used veritaserum on and the inquisitorial squad consisting of malfoy crab and goyle oh and pansy parkinson and a few others from slytherin break in they take Harry and Cho to Dumbledore's office, and the minister, along with a few others from the ministry, arrive. Dumbledore takes the full blame for the organization, with an S, since, after all, it was called Dumbledore's Army. When they attempt to take him to Azkaban, Dumbledore escapes with Fox, his phoenix. After this, Umbridge becomes headmistress and punishes Dumbledore's Army with a blood quill detention. I love this scene. Yes. And all of the... Um, uh, ministry shows up. Mm-hmm. It's so cool because it features one of my favorite characters from this book, Kingsley. Yes. Who is a triple agent because the, he, he, his true allegiance is to the Order of the Phoenix, but the Order of the Phoenix has him stationed working in the Ministry of Magic. Mm-hmm. And the Ministry of Magic believes that, that he is truly aligned with them. And the Ministry of Magic has him stationed in the Muggle um, Ministry, like the Muggle British government, as a government agent. And they believe that he is just a Muggle working for the government. Yep. And so it's really cool how, you know, his true allegiance is really to Order the Phoenix, but he just works for so many other groups under different you know pretenses and stuff it's really he's a really cool character i would love a kingsley shacklebolt series oh my gosh i would watch the heck out of that yeah oh my gosh he's a badass um later during harry's next next occlumency lesson an exasperated harry tired of snape's unwanted intrusions in his mind along with his carping and his carping and insults angrily casts a shield charm and penetrates snape mind in doing so, seeing several of his most traumatic memories, including one where James Potter and Sirius Black in their adolescence bullied Snape relentlessly, livid at the intrusion, Snape refuses to keep teaching Harry occulency, ordering him out. Yeah. Did this summary do a good job of explaining what occlumency is? No, but we can do that right now. Occlumency is essentially just like block blocking someone from being able to like get into your mind um so, so legit le- legimency is that the name for being able to read someone's mind le- legimency legimency I think. I think let me see yeah Legim- so yeah leg legilimency yeah yeah legilimency yeah, yeah. legilimency so Voldemort is very good at that which is how he's able to get into which is what they think is how he's able to get into Harry's mind so, mm-hmm. you know, they think if Harry can learn occlumency, which is kind of the defense of legilimency, then Voldemort won't be able to get into Harry's mind anymore. Which, I mean, once you know everything that you know about Harry and Voldemort's mental connection, you kind of think, well, maybe that wouldn't really help because mm-hmm. it goes so much deeper than legilimency. But um, anyway, so that's just kind of why why they're even having him learn occlumency in the first place. But now Snape is going to refuse to teach him anymore. Right. 
During an exam, the Weasley twins revolt and set off assorted fireworks in the Great Hall, causing chaos for Umbridge and destroying many of her oppressive decrees. At the end of this event, the twins leave Hogwarts to great celebration and jubilation from both the student body and even some of the teachers, nearly all of whom have grown to despise the pompous and sadistic Umbridge. Following the departure of the twins, Harry has a vision of Sirius being tortured by Voldemort within the Department of Mysteries. Hermione points out that Voldemort may only be tricking him to lure to lure him into his grasp. But Harry retaliates by saying that Sirius is Harry's only family left. Harry, Ron, Hermione, or and Hermione rush to Umbridge's fireplace to alert the order via the flu network. And Harry expresses a desire to go to the ministry alone directly from there. But Umbridge and the Inquisitorial squad stop them before they can do so. At first, Umbridge tries to get Snape to use more Veritaserum on Harry to force the truth out of him. But Snape calmly informs her that she already used the last of it on Cho Chang. He then departs, seemingly ignoring a coded warning that Harry sends him sends to him. Fuming, Umbridge threatens to use the Cruciatus Curse to get information out of Harry about the trio's intentions. I'm going to pause you really quick. Yeah. So Harry, at that with the coded message that the summary's talking about, Harry says to Snape, because he's like, oh shoot, Snape is in the order. I'm going to tell him the vision I had, because he kind of knows everything about what's been going on. So Harry says to him, he's got Padfoot in the place where it's hidden. Because Harry knows that there's some kind of weapon that Voldemort's going to use that's hidden in the Department of Mysteries. And he knows that he saw a vision of Voldemort torturing Sirius there. And that's, you know, Sirius's code name is Padfoot. Yeah. So he's like, oh, Snape will know what I'm saying if I say he's got Padfoot in the place where it's hidden. But of course, Snape can't act like he knows what he's talking about in front of Umbridge. Because Snape is like a quintuple agent. Yeah, (laughs) Snape's got allegiances everywhere. And anyways, um, so that's just kind of a little bit of insight into that. I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah. Harry and Hermione then deceive Umbridge into entering the Forbidden Forest in search of Dumbledore's, quote, secret weapon, unquote. She and Harry lead her into the hiding place of Hagrid's half-giant brother, Grop, only to be confronted by centaurs who snatch Umbridge after she insults and tries to attack them. Umbridge begs Harry for help, but he replies, I'm sorry, Professor. I must not tell lies. The centaurs then drag a horrified Umbridge off into the woods. And that is, like, a fantastic scene. That's, like the most badass thing that you could possibly say. Yeah, because Umbridge is like, tell them I mean no harm. And Harry's like, we all know you mean harm, girly. I must not tell lies. Literally, <laughs> how can you say I mean no harm when you, when you, the first thing you do when you see a centaur is cast a spell that, like, hog ties one of them. And it's, like, awesome. You're right, but it's also awesome because the term I must not tell lies has been used to literally harm the students of Hogwarts. Yep. So for him to use it against her when she's saying, tell them I mean no harm, he's like, I'm going to use the sentence that you used to harm us to prove to you that you do mean harm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so good. It's like, it's like when, um, it's like the 2020 election, if Joe Biden had said, 
Sorry, Donald. I'm trying to make America great again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I don't think that line is in the book. I must not tell lies. I think... Or that part I don't think is. But, like, the line is because that's what he... Yes, 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 yes. yes. But I don't think Harry's saying that in the forest is in the book. I don't think it is. I'm going to grab the book really quick, actually. Um, After escaping Umbridge, Harry and Hermione meet up with Ron, Luna Lovegood, Neville, and Ginny Weasley, who manage to escape from the Inquisitorial Squad. They fly to the Ministry of Magic on Thestrals in an attempt to save Sirius. They go looking for him in the Department of Mysteries. After many failures to locate the Hall of Prophecies, they come across the prophecy of Harry and Lord Voldemort. Just then, many Death Eaters, including Lucius Malfoy and Bellatrix Lestrange, ambush them after Harry touches the prophecy. Lucius says that you only saw what he wanted you to see, confirming Hermione's earlier hunch. A short battle ensues, and the Death Eaters take hold of everyone but Harry, threatening to kill them if he does not surrender the prophecy. Harry proceeds to hand the prophecy over to Lucius, but is interrupted when the Order's member, Order members, Sirius Black, Kingsley Shacklebolt, Remus Lupin, Nymphadora Tonks, and Alistair Moody, all of whom had earlier been warned by Snape, arrive to defeat the Death Eaters. In the midst of the battle, Sirius punches Lucius, causing him to drop the prophecy. Shortly after Lucius is defeated, Bellatrix strikes Sirius killing with the killing curse, killing him by sending him through the veil. That's inaccurate. He was... She was... It's different in the movie than in the book. Is it? In the movie, she says Avada Kedavra, and in the book, she does not. Oh, I thought she just stunned him in the movie, and then he falls through the veil. In the movie, she says, Avada Kedavra! She says it very quietly like that, and then it hits him. Mm. But no, in the book... It is a stun. In the book, he's hit with a red light, and Avada Kedavra is a green light. Green. And the red light is stunning. The red light is stunning, exactly. So it's very different in the movie versus the book. So yeah, in the in the book, it's like she kills him on accident. Yes, in the book, she only means to stun him, and he falls through the veil. The veil is like this crazy. It, it it's really crazy, and I kind of want to go into one of the theories about the veil that I've heard, which I really mm-hmm. love. But I'll do that at the end after the summary. But basically, if you fall through the veil, you're dead, and mm-hmm. you cannot come back out of it. It's a one way trip to death. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, for some reason, sitting in the Ministry of Magic. Like, yeah. Granted, it's not like you can just find it on accident. Right. You have to break into the Department of Mysteries to find mm-hmm. it. Or you have to work in the Department of Mysteries. Right. Yeah. Um, devastated and infuriated, Harry chases Bellatrix out to the atrium and hits her with the Cruciatus Curse, downing her. Voldemort's voice whispers in Harry's ear, urging him to give into his hatred of Bellatrix and kill her, but Harry, realizing that Voldemort is baiting him, turns to confront him. Voldemort expresses contempt for Harry's weakness and tries to kill him, just as Dumbledore arrives via the flu network to save Harry. A short but intense battle ensues between Voldemort and Dumbledore. Very intense. It's the best. It, it's and That's probably my favorite battle in all of... Just like one-on-one duel is the best. Yeah. Um, And Bellatrix escapes in the chaos. Dumbledore successfully counters all of Voldemort's best efforts to hurt him and Harry without sustaining a single injury on him. And at one point even nearly defeats Voldemort by trapping him in water and 
after his most powerful series of attacks, that of an extremely destructive torrent of dark energy, which did no... This is a very this long run-on sentence, run sentence. Which did no effect but to knock out, knock Dumbledore off his feet harmlessly. And then countless shards of glass that he fired at Dumbledore were encountered ultimately with little strain on Dumbledore's effort, who stood <laughs> back up shortly <laughs> afterwards, prepared to continue fighting. The Dark Lord switches tactics by attempting to possess Harry, who manages to overcome his efforts due to Harry's love for his friends and Sirius, as he just defiantly saying that Lord that Voldemort is the weak one, as he will never feel true love or friendship. That was one sentence! Starting uh, from... Dumbledore successfully counters all of Voldemort's best One, efforts. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven eight. And a half. Eight lines. and a half lines. Whoever is writing the Harry Potter fandom wikis, honestly, thank you. You're helping us. Yes. But I would go back and edit. Yeah, yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe get an English major in your life to help you edit. I don't know. I mean, you don't have to. They don't, they don't have to be your significant other, but they could be a friend or a co Someone who's... Um, I just happen to be married to one, so... You know, or even someone who is currently recording this podcast. Yeah. Send an email, and I'd love to do some editing for you. Basically, all that sentence was trying to say is that Harry and Voldemort go into a sweet battle. Voldemort realizes he can't, you know, beat Dumbledore just based on dueling, so he's like, I'm going to switch tactics and um, possess Harry. So Voldemort tries to possess Harry, but he cannot possess him for long because it's very painful for him to possess Harry. Yep. And um, Harry is like, you cannot, you're so weak, Voldemort, because you think you can possess me, but guess what? At least I have friends. At least I know what love feels like. You're so weak and friendless, and the fact that you don't have love in your life just shows how not powerful you actually are. Yeah. Yeah. And then Voldemort exits Harry's body and coldly tells him that he will lose everything. When the Ministry officials arrive, Voldemort disapparates in an attempt to escape unnoticed, but does not succeed. The Ministry officials are able to catch a glimpse of him, and Cornelius, Cornelius Fudge is forced to admit that the Dark Lord is indeed back in power and resigns as minister in disgrace. Umbridge is fired from Hogwarts, Lucius Malfoy and the other Death Eaters that participated are sent to Azkaban, and Dumbledore is reinstated as headmaster. Woo-woo! Upon their return, Dumbledore and Harry discuss the prophecy, and Harry discovers that in the end, only one can live, and that the other that he and Voldemort are destined to fight each other one last time. Through Though this revelation is sobering, Harry ends his school year by staying standing by his friends optimistic about the future because he knows that they have something Voldemort does not. Something worth fighting for. Why is worth in italics? italics. I feel like <laughs> something should be in italics. Uh, I don't think any of these words in that sentence need italics. Yeah, you're right. Why not? Um, Anyways. But, so, <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and jump into something that is a big difference from the book and the movie. Okay. It's that end scene. Yes. In the end of the book, Harry goes into Voldemort's office and... Dumbledore's office. Voldemort doesn't have Oh my gosh! Unless Voldemort has like a WeWork space. I don't think I don't think Voldemort has an office. I totally meant Dumbledore and the thought of Voldemort showing up to a WeWork space is hilarious. No. Um, 
yeah, Harry shows up to Dumbledore's office, and he's like, so, Dumbledore, I need you to level with me. You've been ignoring me all year. Now, you know, Sirius Black is dead. He's the only parental figure I've ever had in my life, and now he's dead. And I feel like if you had just talked to me all year, maybe you could have given me a heads up about what's been going on, and maybe Sirius would still be alive. And Dumbledore is like, yeah, do you know what? You're totally right. I've been ignoring you because I knew that Voldemort was trying to use your mind um, to, um, you know, kind of use it as a weapon and, like, make you see things and blah, blah, blah. And I thought that if you ever made eye contact with me or if I gave you too much information, then Voldemort would have access to that information. And Harry's like, okay, honestly, that's kind of BS and I'm really mad right now because now Sirius is dead and it's your fault for not, you know, keeping me in the loop of all this stuff. And Harry goes on, like, a rampage and, like, starts destroying stuff in, Vol- in Dumbledore's office and is, like, yelling. And this is kind of, like, the his big, like, mental breakdown of, like, I'm only a child and you put so much pressure on me and you don't help me when I need help. And, you know, my loved ones are dying and it's, like, he's just so mad and he's just yelling and destroying everything in the office. And to me, that's one of the most well-written and one of the saddest scenes in any Harry Potter book. Um, and I do wish that that scene was included more in the movie because it just kind of shows him sadly sitting in Dumbledore's office while Dumbledore explains everything to him. And yes, the scene in the book does include Dumbledore explaining everything to him, including the prophecy and, you know, neither can live while the other survives, blah, blah, blah. But the the movie the movie only shows that side of it and not the mental breakdown and I wish that we got the breakdown in the movie because it really it kind of like humanizes Harry and it reminds you that like he is just a kid who should not have this much pressure on him mm-hmm. and I yeah I really appreciate I don't think it's like my favorite scene to read because it's so sad but I think I appreciate that that's my most appreciated scene I think in the book yeah, I mean, it's very emotional and raw, and you can, like, feel the, you can feel just the emotion that Harry has, like, the, the frustration that he has with the whole situation um, of this this past school year, of not, not being told anything, being kept in the dark, and, like, it culminating to the loss of Sirius, his legitimate, like, only magical family member that yeah. he had left. Yeah. Um, the person that he was supposed to live with. The like the yeah. the person that like he was kind of somewhere between like a dad and a brother to him. Right. Yeah. And it was um oh in the in the book or in the movie in the movie um when they're fighting together um in the the department the, of mysteries the department of mysteries um it's like you can kind of see that brotherhood because Sirius says nice one james and that doesn't happen in the book right but it does have harry casts the spell and uh-huh. you know Sirius gets caught up in the moment and it feels like he's back mm-hmm. with harry's dad james because mm-hmm. they were best friends in their yep. childhood so he instead of saying nice one harry he says nice one james and that mm-hmm. just really shows the exact relationship that they had. It was one where 
honestly, they probably both felt like they had James back in a right. way. You know, Harry looked to Sirius to be his dad, and Sirius looked to Harry to be his best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I really like that addition Me in too. the movie. Um, some people don't for some reason, but like... Some people just have an issue with the movie adding anything that's not in the books. Right. And to me, I think that's a great addition. Right. There there are definitely things, like, and this can go for, like, any movie based on a book, but, like, sometimes movies do add good things to the source material. And this is just a good example of that. Um, I'm trying to think of other parts of like other differences that we haven't necessarily oh in the book it isn't cho chang right Mm. it's not cho chang that gives up the the da it's her friend yes Uh, i don't even remember her friend's name marietta edgecombe yeah do not ask me why i remember that it's for some reason ingrained in my mind but um yeah it's not cho so there's not really that weird kind of conflict of interest with harry yeah um and yeah it 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 definitely is like i think the whole finding out of the da is pretty well captured Mm -hmm. in the movie um pretty besides the whole fact that it's a different person in the book that gives them up yeah um but like the whole like urgency and the i guess the scariness of it all is pretty well translated from book to film and i think the scene with excuse me the scene with dumbledore saying well it's called dumbledore's army you have the signed up sheet right there so clearly i'm the one who who organized it that whole scene translates very well into the movie Mm -hmm. as well yeah i mean it's just it's a it's a really well adapted and like like we've been saying from the beginning it trims a lot of the fat of just like the monotony of cleaning Grimald Place and just um, other parts of the beginning that just seemingly drag on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it the movie does a really good job of cleaning it up and making it a more concise story that's still coherent. Yep. So, Erica. Yeah. Do you hear that? Oh, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Kudu Badu, the podcast within a podcast where cool dudes, Aaron and I, talk bad dudes, the villains of Harry Potter. I am your host, Erica Weiss. Uh, of course, I'm joined by Aaron, and this week we are looking at the villains from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. So just to give you guys a recap, since it's been so long since we've released an episode, here's what we're looking at right now. We would say that our favorite villain set of the Harry Potter movie so far is the villains that we get in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which would be Voldemort, uh, Wormtail, and Barty Crouch Jr. We think that that's just a stellar lineup. The fact that we don't know it's even um, Barty Crouch Jr. for the entire movie until the very end. Iconic. Awesome. Number two, we have Lockhart, Voldemort, and Malfoy. Not necessarily because Lockhart is like the 
scariest villain. He's just the most iconic villain, and we love him for that. Um, number three, we have Pettigrew, Snape, and Malfoy. Um, that would be for Harry Potter and the, um, Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, you know, you know, just a rat and his, you know, rat-like tendencies. And then number four, which would be from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, we have Snape, Quirrell, Voldemort, and Malfoy. Quirrell is just kind of an uniconic character in general. You know, he doesn't really bring much to the table. He's so flat. You know, he's not funny. He's not scary. He's not, you know, he's just boring. Yeah, so. I mean, it's just kind of like, if you go into this movie or this book, Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Philosopher's Stone, um, not knowing anything about Harry Potter, it could be kind of an intriguing twist. Yeah. But, I mean, at this point, We've seen these movies dozens of times each, and we've yeah. read the books a good few times each. Yeah. So, like, Coral is just kind of flat. And I think even if this was the first time reading, the only bonus points that he would get is the twist. Yeah, totally. Totally. But for this one, who do we want to say? Uh, I mean, obviously Voldemort. Umbridge. Umbridge. Do we want to say Bellatrix? And, yeah, Bellatrix. And Voldemort. Did, Did I say Voldemort twice? Oh, Lucius, I mean. Okay, Lucius yeah. Lucius Malfoy. Uh, yeah, let's do that. I would say definitely focus, though, on Voldemort, Bell- um, Bricks, and Bellatrix. I think that those are the main okay. three. And Lucius is definitely a part of it, too, though. Um, and this is hard because... I could put them at one or two, honestly. Yeah, do you know what? I think that Bellatrix is one of my favorite villains because, to me, she's so interesting because i feel like her and sirius are like such opposites and they're cousins so it's so interesting to think about them growing up together and and you know she's like the only female death eater i think and her like devotion to voldemort and i don't know what she's expecting to get in return other than i think she's just pure evil Mm -hmm. i think she's a pretty interesting character and then um umbridge though she is, she's kind of, she's almost more evil because she doesn't say that she's for Voldemort, mm-hmm. but she's just as evil because she's... She's power hungry. She's power hungry, yeah. And so she's kind of evil in a different way where she's not, you know, all about the murder of muggles, although she probably doesn't mind it. And she's not all about, you know, taking over the world and being a death eater although i'm sure she's not against them you know what i mean mm-hmm. she's just very she's just mean and likes to you know prey on the weakness of children and she's just awful she sucks yeah so i enjoy reading about and watching bellatrix i do not enjoy reading about and watching umbridge but that's not because umbridge is a bad character she's a very well written well acted well well directed character Mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting i I might put them that set of villains though at number one yeah i'm in agreement Uh, i think when you think about the worst harry potter villains voldemort umbridge and bellatrix all come to mind you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this is the book where two of those characters are introduced. So I'm, I mean, yeah, I think that they would go number one. And yeah, Lucius for sure. This movie to me is the downfall of Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. 
this is where, you know, he's like, I'm gonna really get on, I'm gonna be Dumbledore's number one right-hand man, and he totally fumbles it. And I love Lucius Malfoy's character character progression from there. Yes, me too. Which, you know, we'll definitely get to more so in um, the seventh movie, but anyway... Shall we go on to... Welcome everybody to Kudu Dada, the <laughs> podcast of podcast where cool dudes talk defense against the dark arts teachers. I'm your host, Aaron Weiss, and I'm joined by a fellow cool dude, Erica, as usual. Let's take a look at this week's Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Uh, just for a quick recap, number one, we have Lupin. Number two, we have Fake Moody, um, which of course is Barty Crouch Jr. Number three, we have Lockhart, and number four, we have Quirrell. Um, which the fact that a Death Eater is number two on this list goes to show how sucky the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers are. Yeah. At Hogwarts. <clears throat> um. So this week we have actually two teachers. Yeah. Um, we have Umbridge, which. I could put it number five. Yeah, we don't even have to discuss the uh, worst. <laughs> Umbridge, Umbridge is the worst. And somehow, Quirrell beats her out even though we barely see him teach. And somehow, Lockhart beats both of them <laughs> yeah. out even though he's an idiot. Yeah, he's incompetent. <laughs> um, and the next one is actually Harry Potter himself. Um, he's a very good teacher. Yes. And I think because... He is the age of the people he's teaching. Mm -hmm. He gets their attention more, and there's, like, more urgency behind... Because the, the kids are hungry to learn. They're like, if Voldemort's really back, we need to have a teacher that's not on bridge. Right. So... Here's where I would put him. Okay. I would put him at number two, right behind Lupin. And I wouldn't put him at number one, because Harry loves defense against the dark arts because of lupin right lupin kind of you know got the ball rolling for him and harry i mean harry from the time he was a year old has been kind of a master at defense against the dark arts by accident because he literally took down voldemort when he was a year old but i don't think he ever took it seriously as something he was good at until lupin's class you know so i think that Lupin is kind of like the master and Harry is kind of like the protege, you know? Exactly. And I I fully agree with putting him at the number two spot. Yeah. Um, for multiple reasons. I think he could take number one if, future spoilers, he actually went on to teach full time. Yes. Um, Gosh, I mean, we can talk more about that. And this isn't even book or movie canon mm-hmm. it's Pottermore canon so yeah. we don't have to get into it too much but he just he doesn't go on to teach defense against the dark arts even though he's naturally very good at it so the list as it stands is harry's the new number two right under lupin but above um barty crouch jr um next week we will be adding to the list and uh be sure to tune in for that yeah. That brings us to our rankings. Oof. At number one, we have Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban with a movie score of 9.5 and a book score of 9.25. Yeah. Um, Sorcerer's Stone movie score 8.25 and the book score of 8.75. Um, we have the Goblet of Fire book score 8.5 and uh, the movie at 6.75. 
Uh, and the Chamber of Secrets movie, 7.5, and the book at an 8. Where do you think The Order of the mm. Phoenix movie and book? I need to actually separate this. I need to have a separate list for the book and a separate list for the movie. Yeah, yeah. Although for the time being, it's working out pretty well because mm-hmm. most of the books and movies are staying next to each other, except yeah. for Gobble of Fire. I think this might be another one where they get separated. Yeah, which is why I'll need to. Yeah, because I would put the book between... Okay, so do you know what? Let me not even try to put it in the ranking. Let me just mm-hmm. give it a number. I would give this book a 7. Okay. Ugh. I'm inclined to give it an 8, which gives it a 7.5. Okay. If we're... The book? Yes. You would give the book an 8. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the first half is very slow, but I think the second half very much makes up for it. Okay, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm mostly giving it an 8, so it evens, or give, bumps up the score a little more. I think 7.5 is a little more accurate for of a score, but, yeah. but the average between us is a 7.5, so yeah. I feel comfortable putting that. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. So that would put... The HP Order of the Phoenix book at a 7.5. Alright, the movie. The movie I would give... The movie I would give an 8.5? Okay, and I would give it, again, an 8. Okay. So that that ties it with Sorcerer's Stone for second place for the movie. Um, and next week I'll have a cleaned up version of this list so it's easier to read. Um, but for now, for movies at number one, we oh, have. Hold on. Do you know what? We should be switching Harry Potter Order of the Phoenix movie with the Goblet of Fire book. We should? To me, Goblet of Fire book is has a higher number, but it's below Order of the Phoenix movie right now. Do you see that? Yeah, but when I, when I make a separate list, it'll look cleaner. Okay. So it'll. It, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. But so at number one we have Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, the movie. This is the movie list at nine point five. At number two we have Sorcerer St- or, tied at number two we have Sorcerer Stone and Order of the Phoenix at eight point two five. Um, at number three we have Chamber of Secrets at seven point five, and at number four we have Goblet of Fire at a six point seven five for the books. Um, we have Prisoner of Azkaban at 9.25 for number one. Um, number two, we have the Sorcerer's Stone at 8.75. At number three, we have Goblet of Fire at 8.5. At number four, we have Chamber of Secrets Book at 8. And at number five, we have Order of the Phoenix with a 7.5. Sweet. I think that's a solid ranking there. Mm-hmm. I do too. We would like to hear your personal rankings for the books and movies so far. You can email us at weisscastpodcast at gmail.com 
or you can uh, DM us on Instagram at Weisscast Productions, or I think it just might be at Weisscast. Um, but until next week, enjoy the exit song. Um, actually, no, wait, that's the wrong podcast. We don't have an exit song. We have an intro song. <laughs> um, I don't know how to end this podcast, so goodbye. Toodles!